If I took your phone and dunked it in your cup of tea, your coffee, how long do you think it would survive? Yes, this week on Download This Show, how many millions of dollars makes the difference between calling something water-resistant and waterproof? Well, one tech manufacturer certainly found out the hard way. Also on the show this week, smart speakers want to bring your grandparents back from the dead to read you a storybook and why apps tracking periods could become legally dangerous in the United States. All of that and much more coming up. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to download this show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, she is one of the queens of the Drone Age, which is a podcast, which you should be listening to. In addition to this, she's also from finder.com.au. Deacon Jones, welcome back. I'm so excited to be back in studio. I know. I don't think I've physically seen you in... Like since, I'm going to say 2019. Nobody has, Mark. (laughs) I I started thinking you were a figment of my imagination. Fair, yeah. Well, it's nice to have you in the room. And alongside Tegan, we have CEO and founder of the digital health service, Eugene Cadal-Calro. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So good to be back. Interesting news this week uh, with a major landmark legal decision, Tegan. What's happened? Yeah. So essentially what happened uh, back in 2020, uh, Hungry Panda Courier sadly died on the job after being hit by a bus in Sydney and several other couriers had sort of died that year as well. Besides being a really tragic case, it was really significant because the family has been paid out $830,000 in compensation um, when a state workers insurer basically agreed that they're not a contractor, they're actually an employee. This is major, right, Canal? Because this has been something that kind of, and it doesn't just link Hungry Panda, this is something that conceptually at least combines a whole range of gig economy jobs. We're talking about the Ubers of the world uh, as well here. This idea that not being a contractor, that you are technically classified as an employee could have massive ramifications, Canal. Huge ramifications. Yeah, it can open up a whole range of new workers' comp claims, insurance claims. It could also embolden unions to give gig, gig workers, I should say, more protections in their jobs. So, yeah, it, it really opens a pretty big door into a new world for gig workers. Uh, has there been any response to this from, from the other tech companies, Canal? Not so much. I think most of them are playing their cards pretty close to their chest. I have to say that most of these companies are really powerful and they're going to fight tooth and nail to maintain their cost advantage. You can see it in the US where they've started lobbying groups. They, they're doing a lot of work in, uh, in terms of trying to fight this moving forward. And honestly, I think it's anyone guess if things will actually change. So do you think taking things will change now? Depends on the change. Um, Regulators keep mostly ruling that these workers are contractors and not uh, full-time employees, which means that, you know, rights can vary from company to company. So, you know, Uber and Deliveroo do have, you know, some personal injury insurance for their couriers, but there's different payout caps, um, different eligibility rules. And I mean, if the change was to make them all employees, that's very unlikely to happen as well because it's so expensive, um, you know, yeah. to give employment status to people, huge overhead. And actually in the news over the last couple of weeks, we've seen how that's gone down with these instant grocery delivery apps like Milk Run and Volley that have had to change their whole, oh, we'll deliver in 10 minutes, we'll deliver in 15 minutes, uh, partially because it is so expensive because a lot of them are just full-on employees, like salaried employees, and there's been other smaller companies that don't have koala mattress money behind them mm. that have completely folded all together. So it's it's really tricky. 
Is that why I got a weird? Because okay, so for Milk Run is a is an Australian startup that did has this thing that uh, where you can get you know kind of grocery deliveries really fast. It's not actually in my area, but I signed up because I had to talk about technology. I was interested about it, <laughs> but I got this, uh, and so I've never actually been able to access it. But I got this like, like apologetic email from them, being like, "We're sorry, we haven't delivered." And I was like, "I don't know." You what? never did. <laughs> I, I was like, "I don't know what you did wrong," but all right. Is that is that what was that that what email was about? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the most recent one, and it's the biggest one. So they. Are the ones that have that uh, koala mattress uh, connection as well. Um, so I think they said something, I think in Sydney Morning Herald, it came out that they're losing about $10 per order. And they're the quickest ones. I've tried them myself. It's really good. But because they've gone down the salaried employee route, which is great, it just means that it is costing them so much money. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, there is this part where it's like, oh, wow, reality had to kick in, Kanal. Like you had, there was this point where you're like, oh, you mean this? This, this this was too good to be true all along. Well, I think that's very much true, from a, right? From so, a consumer standpoint, uh, I should say. I should say that's from a consumer standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, I think on the consumer side, we've been enjoying a super low-cost service that was A, partially funded by venture capital, and mm -hmm. B, partially funded by the low cost of labor because they lacked these, well, aforementioned rights. So really a big question for uh, consumers is, and we're the linchpin in this, is whether we will care enough to uh, uh, about the people that serve us to join the push towards giving them more rights. Mm, ethics. <laughs> mm, ethics. <laughs> Wait, were you guys trying That's to make right, ethics always. sound tasty? Is that what that was? <laughs> yeah, uh, you can now order it on Uber Eats. You know, you, you cannot. <laughs> the, I guess the question this comes down to is, is how much more would you be willing to pay if it meant that you were confident that your Uber driver, your Hungry Panda driver, any of these services, and there is a multitude of them, was appropriately taken care of, had decent rights? Like how much more would you be comfortable paying for? Give me like a percentage of, of what you would ordinarily pay for, Tegan. I would be happy to pay more like a good, you know, 10 to 20%. But the problem is, is that we've already seen price hikes like during the pandemic, even let's just take, you know, Uber for an example, Uber Eats, where it now costs extra if you want to be like first in line to get your food. Um, they're really trying to push towards this subscription model. So it just costs more in general um, to get food delivered. Uh, I think they call like a service fee or something. So I don't think a lot of people in general will want to pay any more extra when they already were, but that money isn't going into the back pockets of the actual, you know, delivery drivers. It's going straight to Uber. So it's going to be a hard sell. Is it about companies like Uber being more upfront with how their money is split up and going, hey, 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 we take X amount, but actually what we're going to do is we're going to pay this much more and we're going to give them health insurance or we're going to do or whatever it is. Is it about them being more upfront with their, where their money goes with that price hike. I would love that because uh, we don't know where that money is going necessarily. And in the case of uh, Uber Eats, again, like you said, you can tip them. So you know where that money is going, but that's like the last step. Like you actually receive your, your food. You might be able to pre-tip as well. I can't remember, but it's certainly that last step of like, hey, did they do a good job? Would you like to give them some extra money? It's not built in to the service that's already there. So you've already paid all this extra money and then it seems like, oh, so if you want to spend a bit more, you can give it to like the people doing the work, I guess, if you want. Like mm. I just, I don't like that it's set up that way. All right. Now for you, what would need to change for you to feel like you were having a more ethical experience with these services? All right. So 
I actually did give that percentage number a thought as well. So, but I'll start at the beginning, which is that I don't think that I want to necessarily end up in a territory where bureaucracy takes away the flexibility and ease of accessing employment opportunities with these companies. So this is uh, Uber, DoorDash, et cetera. There's so many immigrants who first move here and do Uber deliveries to you know, get income and access uh, to employment opportunities in a market where nobody else would hire them. And this is also true for retired workers as well. So going back to the old way isn't necessarily the way forward. So I think where I stand is, well, I mean, as always, I want to preach a bit of balance. The same flexibility and ease of entry into market and economic opportunities is super important. But if we can add some more protections for the workers through workers' comp insurance and so on and so forth, that would be a huge step forward. And I, for one, that I, I completely accept that I'm coming into this from a super privileged position. So super happy to pay you know 20% more on all Uber deliveries and everything else for that. That's kind of I think like a reasonable increase uh, if that is all going directly to the actual worker and not being taken by Uber. I know that the general split with Uber is roughly that they're kind of been slowly increasing the percentage that they take. And so I, I think more transparency, like Tegan said, would be super important. But also I think consumers are going to just be have to be willing to pay more money for the services they're getting. Yeah. And we should also say, I know we focus this conversation and we sort of use Uber as a byword for this, but there are a range of services that this impacts, not just Uber. Yeah. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And no doubt you will have seen the major news coming out of the US this week about abortion laws. Uh, the landmark case Roe v. Wade was overturned in the US, which is likely to have a major impact on women's health. But there is an impact also into the world of technology. Our digital rights group, the Electronic Frontiers Foundation, is saying women using period tracking apps need to know how their data is being used. I'm, I'm fascinated by this, Tegan. How would period data apps be impacted by the, the changes in laws in the US? What it really comes down to is what data is stored and where, um, and if it is passed on to third parties, and it definitely has uh, with some of these apps in the past, you know, uh, Google, Amazon, that kind of thing. But the main concern right now is if these this menstrual cycle data would be could be subpoenaed and used against people seeking what, you know, would now be an illegal abortion, depending on what state you're in and what happens in those states. So uh, one tech outlet called Protocol reported that when it comes to subpoenas, companies can push back on individual user data, but do tend to hand it over around 80% of the time. Um, and, you know, some other uh, apps have come out and said, well, you know, um, we are approved by the FDA, so we are a medical device, so we have a few more you near know, stricter privacy standards, and they claim that they'll always protect user data, but it's just not guaranteed, and that's what's really, really scary for women and anyone that can give birth or, you know, might want an abortion. There's already been cases in the US where people's search history of, you know, people searching for, for where they can get an abortion has been, has been brought before the courts, Tegan. I mean, this is, this is going to get, I mean, it's already nasty, but it, it is going to get nastier, isn't it? Absolutely, because it's not just about the health data here. It goes well beyond that. Um, there are already just so many like tips and guides popping up all over the internet on, you know, Reddit and, and TikTok, reminding people of general data hygiene specifically around abortions um, or birth control even because that has also been brought up as a potential thing that could get worse. Um, not confirmed yet, but 
you know, it's out there. So, you know, safe search practices, uses of VPNs and Tor rather than regular browsers and search engines, paying in cash, not getting that cash out at pharmacies or near doctor's offices, like leaving your phone at home or at least putting it into flight mode or using a signal blocker sleeve if you have one, if you need to attend a doctor or a clinic so your location can't get pinged. Like, it is horrifying that these sorts of tips and tricks are now popping up around this. I hate it. It's awful. The issue is that the fear is so freaking reasonable in this scenario, right? Uh, because it is a criminal offense in more than half the states in America, if a state is willing to prosecute, they could legally subpoena these companies for information and criminally charge women in mass. It's not just about individual data anymore. It's actually about a large database of women whose personal health information and reproductive health information is in conjunction with their personal data as well as location data. And that's effectively can be used, that effectively can be used to create a database of women in a state who have sought termination, even if it was outside the taste, outside that particular state. This is given how far all of these states have shown that they're going, they're willing to take this, uh, and this particular fundamental human right. Uh, from their communities, it's a perfectly, perfectly reasonable fear for for all women in that state and for um, anyone who, yeah, might want to pursue a ter- uh, termination. For those who are listening to this thinking that, you know, this is a story that is playing out very, very far away, I, I think there's a lot of our health data, all of our health data, you know, a lot of us use different apps and services for different things that is online. And I think it is a good reminder, Tegan, that you know, you don't always know where that data goes. You don't always know how that data can be used. And I think people do need to be mindful. Everything you put in in an app, everything you put online can be used in ways sometimes you you don't necessarily see coming. 100%, especially when most people don't read the fine print. Um, and you can even just look at how um, health is treated digitally uh, by the state. Look at what happened with my health record, hmm. um, you know, just a number of years ago. Uh, and how that was just monumentally mishandled. So no, I would not be trusting many places with my health data, let alone anything else at the moment. And um, Australia is not necessarily safe. We've already heard some whispers, uh, you know, supporting the US uh, from high up people in Australia with what's going on at the moment. So I would not feel particularly safe and I don't. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And how do you feel about a smart speaker? with the voice of a dead person. Amazon Alexa is uh, experimenting, Canal, with uh, bringing back the voice of the dead. Is that right? Could you explain to me the story? Uh, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to take a deep breath and then <laughs> And then, then speak in the voice of a dearly lost relative. <laughs> uh, I know, right? Uh, so Amazon's unveiled this new feature, which is in the works, where Alexa can read aloud in the voice of a loved one who's passed away, and all of it just based on a short recording of the person. So grandma can read you a bedtime story like she used to. And I'm not going to lie, this is very high on the heebie-jeebie scale. (laughs) 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 And there's a little part of me that knows that, you know... Alexa, can Grandma finish reading me The Wizard of Oz, which is, of course, the example that they've come out with. I just know that it, I just know that uh, it would be used. Like, I know it's creepy. I know it, it's high on the heebie-jeebie list, but I also just know, Tegan, that it would be used. As weird as it is, I just, 
it, it's, it's a thing that we use. Yeah, look, when I first uh, saw the headline for this, I'm like, okay, someone's just like thought of this and ran with the story like, oh, they, you know, it can mimic a voice. They're going to do grandma. But no, this is the example they gave like on stage in Vegas. And it just completely sent me when you had like the the, the VP and uh, the what, head scientist of Alexa, like giving this example and then cutting to a small child asking Alexa if grandma can finish reading the story. Now, look, like, I know it's nice to have a digital memory of a loved one that's passed on sometimes a video or like some audio. I actually have a friend who has um, a recording of their grandfather reading all of the Hobbit to them, which is very nice, but it's like, it's uncomfortable when it's a mimic, you know, it's not the real memory. And I just, I wonder if it is going to hinder people from, from moving on um, from a passing or just really confusing small children. Genuine question, right? What is the psycholo I mean, I, I, I no one here is a psychological expert, but but like what is the difference between having a a mimicked voice and having a photo or a video recording? Like like what how different are those things, Canal, right, realistically? Like should they be regarded as being that different? You know what, that's a really good point. I I think you're right in that perhaps they shouldn't be regarded as being different, but it's different from it being a recording of someone that you listen to again and again, like you see a photo, to actually have them create and speak as if it's them is a bit different. That would be like, you know, creating deepfake videos of a loved one. That's, so it's, I feel like it's still on the creepy scale. But if it was just like a sound recording of someone you cared about and you listen to that, I feel like that's a memento like a photograph. Here's my problem with it as well. Taking like even the dead relative aspect out of it, what about consent? Like look at how many voice recordings there are out there. Let's take you as an example, Mark, and let's say Canal went like full sicko mode and programmed his Alexa to sound like you. Like, I don't love that. You I give you consent. Con <laughs> consent is given. All right, fine. <laughs> Enthusiastic <laughs> consent is given for this. And now and now given on national radio. Yeah, well done. Um, but you know what I mean? Like this, 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 it can get so much worse than like deceased relative, I think. You, you're going to get creepers out there doing stuff. I don't like it. In fact, I would actually be offended if you don't, Canal. Just so we're very clear on. Thank you for undermining my entire point about consent, Mark. No, no, I, no, I think it's a totally fair point. And look, um, we have, I think it's come up on the show before, like particularly people in the public eye who are vastly more famous than me, uh, have, you know, they've started putting things in, in contracts about how their, how their likeness and their voice can be used after their death. I mean, famously, Robin Williams put a bunch of stuff in his, in his contracts about what he could and couldn't be used for after the fact. We're seeing Stan Lee and how he's, he's um, uh, the famous um, Marvel comic creator, how his work could and couldn't be used, his likeness could and couldn't be used after his death. A lot of people who do exist in the public eye, what you sign is, is um, lifetime in perpetuity contracts. So anything that I do, for example, uh, will exist long after I, I die. But, in but, Canal's house. Yeah, in Canal's house, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but maybe that, that kind of legal framework and that legal structure is something that we are going, that, that idea is something that's actually going to start porting over to everyday users, Canal. Maybe that we're going to start to agree to those sorts of terms when we set up technology because that's actually legally the only way technology can allow for these things. And, and maybe it'll be like all those other terms and conditions that we just don't read <laughs> that we've actually been oh, cool, I just signed over my likeness to Alexa forever. Sorry, by the way, I should apologise if I'm accidentally firing off your Alexa in your house right now because it <laughs> always happens. It always happens on the show. We, whenever we talk about Alexa or Siri or any of these things, I accidentally fire them in people's houses. I'm sorry. Um, but maybe that's maybe that legal 
legal framework that is sort of like well known for people in the public eye, is this going to become part of what everyday people sign up to when they get pieces of smart technology? Maybe that's the way it's going to go. I, I hope so. I think that would actually be a lot more about informed consent than the way it currently is. But if I'm honest, I think, and this is going to sound super strange, but we're going to need to start getting used to this concept where we can't really trust our own ears in this day and age or our own eyes with deep fakes. And I think the sooner we get used to this concept, the better we'll, better off we'll be. I mean, I don't trust anybody anyway. <laughs> I mean, Tegan's a figment of my imagination. Canal, I don't know if you're really here. You'd be Nothing is trustworthy. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Don't trust a word we say. Mark Fennell is my name. And the federal court has handed Samsung Australia a whopping $14 million fine for misleading advertising about the water resistance capacity of its product. Now, I, I love this because how many times in our lives have we seen things advertised as waterproof or water resistant and thought to ourselves, I want to dunk it in water and see. I want to dunk it in water and see just how much water can it stand. And I was fascinated though, what is the actual definition, Tegan? Like when does something become waterproof? When does something become water resistant? And I feel like this is your wheelhouse. Like, oh, yeah. This is what Finder does. I'm so excited. Well, firstly, whenever I review phones, I freak out everyone in the office by keeping it in like a vase of water for half an hour. People hate it and I love it. Mate, <laughs> whatever your weird kinks are, I'm like, you know, you do you. Thorough testing. That's um, why I'm award winning, Mark. <laughs> um, so, so, in general, though, you're not going to find a lot of phones uh, specifically that will claim to be waterproof because that's just going to be just a complete nightmare when it comes to warranties so usually it's water resistant um, and there's an international IP standard um, that is placed against the device and generally the most robust is IP68 which all of these phones claim to be and that essentially means that um, it can withstand dust, dirt and sand and is resistant to submersion in up to 1.5 meters of fresh water for up to 30 minutes and there tends to be a caveat and there certainly is on the Samsung site that the testing conditions are based on fresh water and it is not advised for beach or pool use. What happens in salty water? I've gone in salty water and it's been okay, but I think that the reason that they would have to protect against this is because it could um, degrade, like, the charging port, right? Like, especially from, like, chlorine or mm. from salt, oh, especially if you're doing it all the time. Oh, because it's, it's corrosive. Mm. So, so yes. just specifically with this case, yeah. Canal, what, what was it that, that Samsung got wrong that ran them afoul of the, the law? Yeah, so it was actually uh, pretty much to do with the charging port. What they hadn't communicated to users is that if you take, and this hilariously happened to me last month, by the way. So Is it you? Uh, Did you yeah, say that? Really is it <laughs> Did I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so effectively, like if you, uh, if you submerge your phone in water, whether it's pool or ocean or whatever, and then you try to charge your phone, it pops up a warning that says, hey, the charging port is wet. You can't use the charger yet. And you can kind of force through that uh, you can keep trying it again and again and basically ignore that warning. And as a result of that, electric current is passing through a still wet and sort of contaminated port and it corrodes the actual charging port. And so because Samsung wasn't quite as clear as they, uh, as uh, you know, the ruling believes that they should have been around that charging port and um, and its ability to kind of charge after it's been submerged in water, they were fined. Tegan, in your weird 
habit of like sinking expensive technology in vats of liquid. My job, yes, yeah. Sure, <laughs> if, if you can call it that. It's rich coming from me. He spent 15 years watching movies for a living. Uh, what's the strangest thing you've discovered? Like, like, are there things that are more resistant or more proof than you expected or things that are just like, wow, that did not survive? Uh, no, but I don't do it all of the time, though, because I don't want to ruin my tech. But I guess my <laughs> my personal, like, my weirdest habit is the fact I really like... Uh, having a podcast on in the shower so I'll stick it up on the little caddy like my phone and have it blasting through there gets a bit wet but it's fine so far yeah right (laughs) I love that but I think the other problem here too of what Samsung potentially got wrong is the fact that all of the marketing collateral or a lot of the marketing marketing collateral for these phones was like people in a pool uh you know in the ocean Mm. so that communicates a very visual message to people that that was gonna be a-okay well particularly the ocean stuff in in light of what you're saying about freshwater yeah like that what it needed to do Mm. is show them in some kind of tepid lake (laughs) yes would that have have been fine (laughs) ip68 rating fine if you're in tepid water up the yarra like i like that tepid water up the yarra <laughs> Shout outs to everybody working in tech advertising. Good luck with that. I am available. Uh, <laughs> Do you think we need to be a little bit more? Because there's always a challenge with advertising this 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 sort of aspect of technology canal. Do we sort of need to? Do you think audiences or, or I guess consumers would reward tech companies if they were just a little bit more honest and a little bit less aspirational with how they they framed what technology could actually do? I think so. I I really think so. I think if companies were a lot more transparent and, you know, it can be done in well-marketed ways. It can be done tongue-in-cheek. It can be done with honesty and a bit of quirk. So I think it would work better. I think if companies said, look, Superman is bulletproof and Iron Man suit is like bullet resistant. This is bullet resistant. It can take a beating, but only to an extent. Uh, That would work much better. Bullet resistant is so good. <laughs> what about you? What would you change about the way tech is advertised to, to be more to be more accurate to, to to what it can actually do, Tegan? Well, firstly, freshwater bullets only. Freshwater um, bullets only. <laughs> it's just getting it's just getting somewhat psychedelic. Yeah, um, I actually agree with Canal. I think that having a bit of fun with it is the way to go because you can put as many disclaimers on the website that you know warranties won't cover if you've actually like stuffed it with water. But people don't want to go and look at that. They're not going to, especially when you have really visual images to the contrary. So I think have some humour, have some fun with it is the way to go Um, and make it really clear. What's the most nonsense thing that you often end up disproving when you do test, uh, testing, like, is there, is there, is there the most, is there a common bit of overreach that you see in advertising that when you're testing a piece of technology, you're like, yeah, they're, they're pushing it. Is it, there something that comes up often? It's usually like how tough, like the, the actual phones, for example, are like if they're going, oh, Gorilla Glass can now do this. And I don't even have to go and throw it somewhere. I am famously clumsy. So I just <laughs> drop something and, uh, and we just like cr- got cracks and all sorts of things. But the most fun is when you have an actual tough phone that, that it's really tough and so I've literally thrown those off cliffs frozen them backed cars over them and look they don't look good afterwards but they still worked <laughs> wait 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 wait! you've backed a car over a phone that claimed to be very tough that that was the whole point it's like oh for tradies and stuff like that so yeah I did absolutely <laughs> was this for work 
Yeah. I, I've got very, like, I've got big quotation marks. <laughs> yeah. Just just for those playing along, I've got very big quotation marks. Yeah, for sure. I definitely should not be like paid for what I do, clearly. Um, but, you know, yeah, it was part of like the test process. If they say you, you, you can do you know, X, Y and Z and that you basically can't break this thing, then I'm going to test that theory. <laughs> and I think we are out of time. Well, that was fun. <laughs> Huge thank you to this week's guest, Deacon Jones. She is from Finder. And if you enjoyed listening to her, you should listen to her every week on the Queens of the Drone Age podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and download this show. Thank you for always letting me bring this unhinged energy <laughs> to this show. It's been far too long. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Canal Calro, CEO of Eugene, a pleasure as always. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you also for bringing your own particular brand of unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> We're never allowed on Love together yeah. again. No, no, no. This combination, <laughs> yeah. is, this combination is definitely happening again. Uh, and with that, I should leave you. Uh, my name is Mark Fennell, and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show.